Well, that's a really good group of young people this morning. So thankful again for a junior church. So thankful that we get to announce the message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, to these individuals. And uh, so thankful that you're here this morning. You know, uh, we're going to hear, we're going to come and we're going to hopefully close out uh, chapter number five uh, this morning. And it's, uh, it's an amazing and I think almost shocking the way this chapter ends. And also, also at the same time exhilarating. You know, to see the response of the disciples to the, um, uh, to the persecution, to the beating that they took. And really, you know, as you look at the end of chapter number five, it's really uh, what we'd call a contrast. Contrasting between Sanhedrin or Sadducees that happen to be again on one hand and the apostles on the other hand. And when you look at the Sanhedrin, they're filled with malice, they're filled with hatred, they're filled with animosity towards the disciples. You know, they've commanded them to stop preaching in that name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They want, again, to terminate them. They want it done. They're frustrated that all these miracles are, are being done that really validate that Jesus Christ is risen from the grave. And they just want it to cease. They want it over. And so what they want to do is actually put these men to death. But as we've been looking at this chapter, we realize cooler heads prevail. And the reason why is because of one that happens to be in their midst named Gamaliel. And Gamaliel is no friend to Christianity, but he seems to be a more calm, you know, more uh, sensitive to reality and the things that happen to be again around him. And he does use um, a religious talk, but he's a worldly wise man. And he believes beyond a shadow of a doubt that Christianity is just going to die out, that faith in Jesus Christ will die out. Either that or the Romans will take care of it. You know, just do not do anything. Don't exasperate the situation. Don't, again, create an upheaval where people will actually start following this Jesus, this Galilean that happens to be again over here. So we realize all that is going on. And then, and then we read uh, in verse number 40 these words, and when they had called... In the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they followed Gamaliel's advice and let them go. And this certainly is a less penalty that happened to begin of, de of de than death. But let me tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, and I think all of us know this, that this would have been, again, a very horrendous penalty. You know, because when it talks about, again, beating them, the way that they would beat uh, individuals was through flogging. And flogging was basically, uh, in fact, Jesus Christ succumbed to this. And let me just say this. Some people actually died because of flogging. Yet, you know, it was so painful and it was so treacherous to the body. And they used to take a, a small wooden handle, uh, the, ex the, the executioner, the one who was perpetrating this, and there was long leather straps that happened to be tied to the end of that handle. And at the end of the leather straps were bone and pieces of metal, maybe pieces of glass. And if you happen to be, again, really good at flogging, what you would do is you would whip and it would wrap around the individual and then you would pull it and would pull the skin away. And, and the reason why I say that is because this would have taken months and months and maybe, again, some of the disciples would never have been healed because, again, of this flogging that they had right here. And remember why, well, why this was. This was because... They preach the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think it's very helpful for us many times to recognize that these things went on and really put, put ourselves in the narrative. You know, and we put ourselves in the narrative in this way. If this happened to us for preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus, for announcing that salvation is found in Jesus Christ, here's the question. How would we respond? You, you know, well, what would we do? You know, what would come next? 
You know, have you ever gone through turmoil? Have you ever gone through hardship? You tried to do something well. You tried to do something good for someone, and only harm came to you. You know, and in our basic response to that is basically this. I'll never do that again. You know, I'll never be involved in that person's life again. You know, I'll never try to be a blessing to have speak again in their life. And certainly, again, as you look at the narrative, and even as you look at Christian history, we don't suffer like many of the believers that went before us. But so often, we look at this, and we look at the suffering that happened to be right here, and we look at this odd bravery that happens to be right here, and we think that's not the norm. And I think we think it's not the norm because we are so sensitive to the things that happen to be again around us and so timid. You know, if somebody at work, if somebody at school starts to ask us a few questions about Lord Jesus Christ, all of a sudden we try to change the subject. All of a sudden we, we get a bit nervous. And one of the things, again, when we look at a text like this, we think it's not the norm. But one of the things that the book of Acts does is describe early Christianity, doesn't it? It describes the opposition. It describes what unbelief looks like. But here it is. It also describes what saving faith looks like, how it functions in a person's life. You know, and I think these narrative sections are very good for us because we have to ask ourselves, is there anything that I can relate to? If there is there any, again, change that has come over my life which speaks of my great relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, we realize, even as we look at the world that happens to be around us, that many who claim to be Christ are not really Christ. You know, is there any marks that happen to begin on my life that speak of saving faith, authentic saving faith? If this is authentic Christianity, and this is what it looks like when it endures trial, when it endures opposition, is there anything in my life that uh, I can say that's akin to that, that's parallel to that? You know, one of the things that the Word of God always calls us to do is examine our faith to see if we are truly in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what I want you to do this morning. You know, if you're in the faith, I want you to be encouraged, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt that we see this mark, these marks of salvation that happens to be in our life. If you're not in faith, I want you to really be challenged to look at Jesus Christ, to really see the reality of what it looks like to be a believer, a one who is trusting in Jesus Christ. So we see three marks or three contrasts that happen to be right here in between the Sanhedrin and, and those who happen to be, again, the apostles, these true believers. And the first thing is, you know, and, I, and I'm going to say it in a rather vague way and then hopefully explain it. And it's basically this there is a vast difference between a true believer in Jesus Christ and those who are not believers in Jesus Christ. Well, what we call an unbeliever. Right? What we call, again, somebody going through the natural course that happens to begin in this world. And I think that plays out, and I think you can see it again in our text in verses uh, 41 and 42, because it says, Then they left, speaking of the disciples after they were beaten, it says, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Right? The name, not a name. And every day, in the temple, and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They couldn't be silent, could they? You know, it's amazing, isn't it? Because here is the whole point. There is a great change that comes over individuals when they come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and think of it, again, when we're talking about that, it, that we're not just talking about morality, 
We're not just talking about that we try to live as good citizens, we try to live upright in our communities that happen to be again right there, but we realize that we live for a person, don't we? You know, and it also doesn't mean this. It, do, it doesn't mean because I've trusted and I have Jesus that happened to begin on my side, that I'm never going to suffer. You know, I'm never going to go through trials that happen to be in, in our life. We realize that we'll suffer for our faith, but we'll also suffer like the rest of mankind, won't we? We realize our bodies are wasting away. We realize that we succumb to various different diseases. We realize even some of our relationships go sideways. And we suffer that happen to be in our life. You know, our lives many times externally look like everyone that happens to be again around us, except this, that we respond differently to all the adversity, to all the suffering, to all of the hardships, to all the pain that happen to be again of life differently than our counterparts that happen to be again over here. We, here it is, apply the gospel. We come with this faith in this great Christ. And there's a great difference that happened to be in our life. And, and you've got to see it in the text, right? You know, over here is rage. Over here is anger. You know, over here is a frustration. Over here is a want to terminate these people. And over here, there's rejoicing. Over here, again, there is this desire. And they just cannot be silent, no matter what comes in their life, to announce Jesus Christ. You know, and there's a great difference, isn't there? You know, we realize who is Lord. We realize who is captain of the ship that happened to be again right here. And the reason why there is such a difference is just because of two things. You know, and one of them, again, is that God gives us a new disposition, doesn't he? A disposition that did not exist before. And we call that new life, don't we? You know, Jesus even said, you must be born again. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Otherwise, they've been given this new life. You know, and, and Paul explains a little of what happens in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verses 5 and 6. Here's our part, you know, that we play in there as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, right? We're not saying, look at me, follow me, be like me. You know, I'm the answer. For, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Now, here's what God does. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, when he says, when he says God commanded light to shine out of darkness, he didn't take light over here and shine it into darkness. He created light, didn't he? And so when it says God has shone, he's taken that message, here it is, open up our heart, and he's created this new nature that receives the gospel, receives Jesus Christ crucified, yea, risen from the grave as our only hope. And we realize when he does that, there's a whole different life. There's a whole different disposition that we have and a way of looking at life. You know, and, and, it's, and, and it's so freeing. You know, because many times in our Baptist circles, in our evangelical circles, we've taken salvation. We want to make sure, we want to point to Jesus Christ. We want to point to Jesus Christ. And we're justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And praise God for that truth. But we realize, in order to realize, to realize that truth, God has to do work in ours. And here's the thing. God not only delivers us from the penalty of sin, but the tyranny of sin. Isn't it right? I am no longer a slave to sin. I no longer follow those old ways that I used to follow. There is now a freedom to follow Christ. Now, 
you know, people that happen to be over here that knew us before will try to give some sort of explanation. They'll say something like this. They've been brainwashed. They've been hacked. You know, something has happened to them. You know, they've had some sort of crisis breakdown that happened to begin in their life. And the reason why is because they cannot explain. They cannot relate to this whole idea of new life. And let me ask you, as you look at your counterparts, as you look at the suffering, as you look at the complaints that happen to begin in their life, whether it happened to be at work, whether it happened to be again at school, whether it happened to be in the neighborhood, whether it happened to be extended family members, is there anything in your life that speaks of that new life in Jesus Christ? Right? God gives us a new disposition. We're different than from the people that happen to be around us, but we're not only different because of this new life, we're different because we have a relationship with Jesus. Think about it. They can't be silent. <laughs> Look at Jesus. Look at who he is. He is the Lord. We proclaim this name. He is the Lord. He is the Christ. And they keep, they, they want to silence, they want to squash it. The religious leaders can't even bring themselves to say the name Jesus. And yet here's the disciples and they can't be quiet, you know, about this. And this is where we have to realize God has given us, again, a wonderful relationship. He's given us a different relationship than the world that happens to be around us. With Jesus, he's everything. You know, and, and, and I want to say this, and I hope it's not misunderstood. If it's misunderstood, if you have any questions, see me afterwards, because I want to explain it. Christianity is not moral uprightness. Do you agree with that? You know, it's not the idea that I just live a morally upright life. And let me say beyond a shadow of it, when we're related to Christ, we want to be like him. We want to live in his holiness. We want to live in his righteousness. We want to praise him. We want to glorify him. And I get that. But let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, Christianity is not moral uprightness. You know, if it is, when you look at the Sanhedrin, here they are, and they're trying to live by the law. You know, they're trying to do what is right. You know, and I think this is where many times, you know, Christianity is has, uh, has uh, uh, been inundated by many times morality. And, and we, we many times equate that with Christianity. So here it is. We see some people suffering and we try to help them out. And, there, and there's nothing wrong with that. We, we, we should be involved in feeding the poor, helping this individual, helping that individual, being involved with that social cause. There's nothing wrong with that. There's everything wrong with that when we say that's the epitome of Christianity. That's what Christianity is. Right? I really think this is where we get all roads go to heaven. You know, because we might see our Muslim counterparts. We might see, again, somebody else that happened to be over here, somebody of this religious persuasion doing the same things that we do. And we come to the conclusion because we scratch our heads because we have a different... Um, definition of what Christianity is, they must be Christian. Yeah, they might call him Allah, they might call him Jehovah, but we call him Christ, but it's the same God because it's the same works that happen to begin over here. Let me see what Christianity is. Christianity is a different relationship with Jesus. He's the only hope, right? right? And there's a definition of who he is and what he has done. right? If, if it's just Jehovah... There's no persecution here. 
But what do they announce? What's the great frustration of the Sanhedrin? It's what Peter says in Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12. And he says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is the only one. This is King Jesus. This is the Savior. This is the Christ. This is the Lord. This is the great I Am. This is our only hope. And it's so different, isn't it, when you look at this relationship. Here it is, third time. Don't preach in the name of Jesus. And what do they do? Now think about it. Because again, put yourself back in the narrative. You know, uh, here it is, you know, Peter preaches, and then he takes the disciples and they put them out. And then they're going to discuss what to do with them. And they're already almost unanimous. We're going to put them to death. And they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt what they did with Jesus. This wouldn't be hard for them. Let's put them to death. And they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that here they are outside the hall. This is what they're talking about. You know, and here they come back in. And praise God, through the providence of God, they are beaten and they are not killed. But here's the amazing thing. The amazing thing is what they did after they were released, after they were beaten. Because verse 42 says this, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Do you see the difference in relationship there with Jesus Christ? Do you see him again as the epitome of everything we are and do? Do you see that? Do you think again, after you've been arrested, after you have been beaten, after you have been shamed, all of these things, and you still announce that message, do you think people would take notice? You know, in the way that you suffered, and who you pointed to, and who you announced? You know, this is authentic Christianity. And as we look at our lives, is there anything different, anything that would speak that our lives are different from the world, from the unbeliever that happens to be around us? Because God has given us a new nature, and we relate to Jesus Christ so differently. You know, that's point number one. The second point that we see right here in the second contrast is that these men were not ashamed of Jesus Christ. Do you get that? To get that, think of all the shame that many times we have as believers in Jesus Christ. Think of all the social media outlets that happen to be out there. Many times deride Christians as ignorant, you know, as backwards and everything else like this. And try to shame us. And yet when you look at these men, there's no shame of Jesus Christ. In fact, again, let's read verses 41 and 42 again. It says, then they left the presence of the council. And look at what they did. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. For every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. You know, so they were not only not ashamed, but they were rejoicing that they were found worthy to suffer for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think beyond a shadow of a doubt, here's the thing, I think all of life, you know, we glibly say this many times, but all of a life is a search for meaning and joy and how those things intersect that happen to begin in our life. Isn't it true? We're, we're all on a quest for that. You know, we get up in the morning and we want some significance 
And we want joy, and we want both of those things to interact that happen to begin in our life. That's why I think people are always living for some sort of momentary delight. You know, if I could just get my house to look a certain way, then I could be so happy, then I could be so joyous. If I could just have a certain quality of living, a certain income that happened to begin in my life, if I could just get there, if I could just pay off the mortgage, if I could just get up that ladder, that corporate ladder that happens to be right there, I could find joy. I could find satisfaction. Yeah, it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be hard, but I want to get there. You know, and so many people, again, look at that. If I could just have this relationship with so and so, then I could have this joy. Then I could, yeah, 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 I realize this, and I realize it's going to be, yeah, but if I could just have it. And here's the problem with all of that. You know, we realize beyond a shadow of a doubt, everything that happens to be in creation is wanting. But can you imagine? Here it is. All of a sudden, you find Jesus as your all. All of a sudden, again, you recognize the greatness, again, of what he has done. All of, you, all of a sudden, you recognize the greatness of his promises. And here's my whole point. You know, whatever we find joy in, whatever we find satisfaction in, whatever we find meaning in, in each one of our lives, here's the thing. No matter what the opposition on the outside we are, want, we are going to want to announce it. We're going to want to live for that thing or for, here it is, that person. And there's only one that can satisfy. And it's Christ. And I find it so challenging in verse number 41 because it says, then they left the presence of the council. And then it says this, rejoicing that they were counted worthy. And then he says this, to suffer Dishonor for, here it is, the name. You know, that they were counted worthy to suffer for the Christ. Now, I want you to think about that because you know what that word dishonor means? That dishonor, that word dishonor means, in fact, it's translated this way in other parts that happen in the beginning of the Bible, is the word, here it is, shame. They were counted worthy to suffer shame in the name, in this particular name. And think of what the, think of, think of what the religious leaders want to do. They want to shame the apostles, right? Think of what people do many times in our society, even our society, when they talk about Christ, when they talk about you being as a believer, they want to shame you. They want to ridicule you. They want to despise you. They want to say something against you. And this is exactly what the religious leaders wanted to do. They wanted to show how weak, how impotent Christianity was. There's your leaders. Look at them walk. Look at how gingerly they move. And everywhere they go, they carry the marks of this shame. And instead of living in that shame, they rejoiced in these marks of suffering for that blessed name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The religious leaders, it spoke of powerlessness. To the apostles, again, they took great confidence, great pride. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? The change Jesus brings. I mean, let's go back. Here we go. We're going back. And we go to the back, back to the time that Jesus was betrayed. And at night, Jesus was betrayed. And here's the 11. And all of a sudden, they're scattered. 
you know, they realize if they stand for Jesus, what is going to happen? And here it is, same council, same men that happen to be again right here. Here they stand, and they stand in Christ, trusting him. Now think about it. Do you think that they love Jesus more than life themselves? Do you think, again, they could sing a song like, I'd rather have Jesus in silver and gold. I'd rather have Jesus in this life and everything that happens to me in this life untold. Do you think they could sing that song? Do you think they could sing, again, some of the hymns that we sing? You know, each, uh, uh, each, each, uh, Excuse me, each one of us? I mean, we sang that song, and I couldn't, I, you know, I had to look it up, the words, really quickly uh, as we were singing it, but uh, afflicted soul. You know, because it's so beautiful, because the last two verses go this way. Should persecution, rage, and flame still trust in your Redeemer's name? In fiery trials you shall see that as your days your strength shall be. Verse 4 goes like this. When called to bear your weighty cross, or sore affliction, pain, and loss, or deep distress, or poverty, still as your days, your strength will be. And this is how it's, this is the, uh, the chorus right here. So sing with joy, afflicted one. The battle's fierce, but the victory's won. God shall supply all that you need. Yes, as your days, your strength shall be. Do you really believe that when we sing it? Do you really believe, is there a joy even in the midst of your affliction? You know, we also sang, God is for us. You know, listen to what we sing, because I think we sing it so joyously many times, but we don't realize what we're singing. We're singing about our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ. And it goes like this, we won't fear the battle. Now, why don't you fear the battle? We won't fear the battle. We won't fear the night. We will walk the valley with you by our side. You will go before us. You will lead the way. We have found a refuge. Here it is. Only you can save. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I mean, we sang it this morning. You know, because here, here's the most freeing message that you could ever have. If you believe that about the Lord Jesus Christ, then nothing in this world can shame you. If you believe beyond a shadow of a doubt, nothing can separate you from Christ and what he has done in your life. And he is Lord. He is everything. Then nothing can shame you in your life. I mean, it's one of the most freeing truths that happen to be, again, in each, each one of our lives. In fact, a little later, we're going to be singing in Christ alone, right? In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is a light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled. Why are fear and fear stilled? Why am I not afraid over here? Why am I not afraid of the reaction of this person that happens to begin over here when striving cease? My comforter, my all and all, here in the love of Christ, I stand. What can man do to me? Right? It's most freeing. Right? And what man means to shame us we see that there's liberty. We see there's this great joy in following the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and this is authentic Christianity, isn't it? We realize who Christ is. Our world will try to shame us. 
You know, so we see that we're different in a world that happens to be again around us. We realize beyond a shadow of a doubt uh, that, that there's no shame in, in Christ. But the third response is absolutely amazing, and that is that there is rejoicing, even in the awful suffering of life. You know, and again, you see that in our passage. Let me just read it one more time. In verse number 41, then they left the present of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching. Jesus is the Christ. Again, could not be silent. And here's the amazing thing, because have you ever thought that both the Sanhedrin and the apostles both, here it is, rejoice over the suffering of the apostles? Both of them do it. Now, here's the difference. There's a difference in why they rejoice. You know, the Sanhedrin gleefully, you know, look at the pain, look at the anguish, look at the physical uh, aspects, again, of that suffering of the apostles, and they rejoice in that. You know, look at how they've been humbled. Look at how they've been defamed. Look at how the message has been defamed. And let me tell you, in in the natural self, here's what people do. When they have an opponent, when they have somebody that they do not like, and all of a sudden they suffer, there's a jubilation that happens beginning in the inner soul. You know, and, and it is a, amazing. You can find that even in Christianity many times. Maybe a certain pastor suffers. Maybe a certain church suffers. And there happens to be those who happen to be outside many times that will take a great delight in the suffering of others. Now, it might somehow uh, rectify what they thought about Christianity or what they thought about the church, but they have a joy. And, and here's the thing, we can understand that. We can understand because that's part of the nature, that's part of the natural realm that happens to be around us. What we cannot understand and what we're shocked at many times is the rejoicing. You know, in the midst of this suffering that happens to begin right here. You know, and think of it because none of us have suffered that way. But if that's the attitude, the lesser sufferings in our life should also cause us to worship and rejoice in this Christ. Now, here's the question. Why did they rejoice? And there's no way that you can exhaust this. So what I've done is I've boiled it down to three time, uh, three different points of why they rejoice. Now, we could come up with 100, I think, you know, if we really thought about the text. But one of the reasons, again, why they rejoiced in the persecution that they were beaten and everything else like that was not the physical pain in and of itself, right? You know, we're not... Uh, masochistic. It's not that we love pain just for pain in and of itself. But the reason why they rejoiced in their suffering, here it is, is because of their identification with Jesus Christ. Right? Think about it. The reason why they suffered, here it is, is because of Jesus. Right? It's not because they've done some great evil. It's not because the government is against, you know, we're fighting for the social issue and we want this social issue and the government's against us and we're chained again to these trees or whatever it happens to be, this good thing. And we're suffering because of that. You know, it's nothing like that. The reason why they are suffering is directly related to Jesus. Right? Their identification with them. If they're not identified, if they're not preaching this message, then there's no suffering that happens to be going going on. And I find, beyond a shadow of a doubt, where we find our primary identification, we want to talk about. We want people to know. 
uh, I read this in an article, I don't know how true it is, but uh, I have no reason to doubt it, that a number of Canadians are actually descendants of the royalty that happened to begin in England. So, you know, if you were to go on Ancestry.com, and I don't know how many of you have done that, and start to trace your ancestry back, you might be related to King George. You know, he might be your great, 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 third, third, 30 times removed uncle. I don't know. You know, he might be your cousin, you know, uh, 13 times re removed. I really don't know. But it said uh, some there. But, you know, the moment that we realize that we're related to somebody famous, we, <laughs> this is our sin, I guess, we want to brag about. You know, isn't it true? We want people to know about. Well, th think about this, because there's nothing sinful about this. What if we're related to the King of Kings? What if we're related to the Lord of Lords? You know, wouldn't we want to talk about that? Wouldn't we want to announce it? Wouldn't we want to sing about that? You know, think about it, because we just celebrated what we call, and Richard did a good job announcing this, is Remembrance Day. And what is Remembrance Day, whether it happens to be um, remembered here in Canada, the United States, whether it happens to be rem uh, remembered over in Great Britain? What's it all about? It's all about people, individuals, that were willing to lay down their lives for the love of the country, for the love again and the ideals that that country stood for. They said, there's something bigger than myself. And if you've ever read some of these war stories of these soldiers that gave all and gave, again, here it is, the ultimate sacrifice of giving it for their, you, you read it and you realize how much they cared for the country. Think about it, willing to give it all because of something greater and they identified with that something greater. Can you imagine? We're identified with Christ. We're identified with his kingdom. We're identified with everything that he is in us. You know, and one of the major reasons why they rejoiced is because of the reason why they suffered. It is because of their identification in Jesus Christ. I mean, what's not... What's not to, to announce? I mean, they cannot be silent about this. But not only that, but they realized and they uh, rejoiced in their suffering because they realized all that the Lord had done for them. Have you thought about that? I think the more that we think about the gospel, the more that we ponder the gospel. And let me tell you, I don't think we do this enough just to be silent, just to think about the details, just to think about who we are. None of us have grown. If if all of a sudden our, our eternal punishment, what we deserve for all of eternity, right here, is eternal in nature, and it's as awful as the scripture say it is, which it is, beyond a shadow of a doubt. When we recognize that beyond a shadow of a doubt, then none of us have truly understood how offensive my sin, your sin, is before a holy God. And none of us, therefore, have understand the worth and the weightiness of God coming in human flesh to die for a sinner like us. And can you imagine when we start to look at it and say, oh, you know, there's going to be a, somebody, you know, we're going to post this sermon online and somebody's going to say a few defamatory comments and I just can't take it. You know, here it is. Look at what Christ suffered for us. Look at who he is. Look at what he did. Look at the weightiness of that suffering as he became sin and took the punishment that I deserved for all of eternity on him. 
Look at what he did for me. And let me tell you, it creates such a joy, such a confidence, such a security in the Lord Jesus Christ that causes us to sing of his name, to announce his name, to teach, to preach forth Jesus Christ and him crucified. So when you look at that, what's, what's not to rejoice about again? You know, we're forevermore identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're forevermore recognized what he has done. But here's the third point, and I think this is so critical. When we rejoice in our suffering, in a confidence in this Christ beyond a shadow of a doubt, it is a sign. It is a banner. It is a blowhorn that says this message. Jesus truly is mine. Isn't it? You know, there's no doubts about it. Do you think the apostles believe in Jesus? And the answer is absolutely yes. And why? Look at what they went through and look at what they keep doing. They keep announcing the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the greatest signs that we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ is through sufferings. There's a perseverance, but not just a perseverance. There's a rejoicing still. And look at who Christ is. His promises haven't changed. You know, who he is hasn't changed. What he has done and accomplished for me as a sinner hasn't changed. And our, here it is. We're going through it. We're trusting in him. You know, Peter said, even this, 1 Peter chapter 4, says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. And then he says this, to test you. Now, here's the question. What's the test? What's the test? You know, here's the test. To show me what I truly believe. Isn't it? It's a fiery trial to show me what I believe to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar, here it is, as you share Christ's sufferings. And what he means by that, as Christ suffered for his righteousness, that salvation was found in him and him alone, I'm suffering for the same reason. That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Now, why would I be glad when Christ's glory is revealed? There's many reasons But here it is. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because, because, this is what it speaks of. This is the reason why you're blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. I'm I'm his. I am really his. Think about it. Wounded back, sores, blood, you know, all these things. You know, turmoil, it hurts to turn it. I can't sleep. You know, all these things. But what's it speak of? I am his. Now, that's not exciting. I just do not know what, what his. Now, certainly there's many in the world, even today, that come, through, come upon Um, Christianity and suffer for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ more than we will ever in our lives. And I think we should be thankful for that. I'm thankful for right now that that we don't have people posted out here, you know, keeping watch because somebody's going to come and and invade. Let me tell you, that's a reality in so many different parts that happen to begin of the world today. But here's the question as we look at a text here, because this is given for our good and for our edification. Is there anything that I can relate to in this text? You know, as, as calling myself a follower, a believer in Jesus Christ. 
Is there anything different about my life and how I handle the adversity, how I handle the stresses, how I handle the suffering, whether it comes upon the name of the Christ or just living in this fallen world? You know, is my heart trying to show Jesus Christ? Do I have a shame? You know, here's my counterparts that happen to begin over here, that happen to begin in the, in the world. Is there a shame that they might find out that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ? You know, is there anything to rejoice about this morning? That Jesus is mine. And nothing can separate me from the love that is in Christ Jesus my Lord. Praise God for his goodness. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we look at this text, oh, what an amazing text. Lord, as we look at the suffering, as we look at the persecution, as we look at those things even going on in our world today, so often we look, Lord, at what other people are doing rather than be astonished at the supernatural response of those who are truly in Christ. And God, we realize this is not the oddity, but this is the life that you created. So much so, Lord, that you've created in us not a shame of who you happen to be, but a glory in who you happen to be and all that Jesus Christ has done for us. So much so, Lord, that no matter what trials are in our life, no matter what suffering we go through, no matter what hardship, no matter what pain goes through our lives, no matter how much tears fall from our cheek, Lord, our glory, our joy is still found in the one who came, who lived that perfect life, died that substitutionary death, has gone away to prepare a place that where he is, we may be with him eternally. What can man do to us? God, help us to see him. Help us to rejoice. And help us not to be silent. How could we ever be silent? Help us to announce that name of Christ. We thank you again in Christ's name. Amen. Brother.